For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Lawrence Gregory entitled, The Will of God. Mr. Gregory. We're admonished in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I know that this will be a review to some who may have uh, attended our Bible study in November 1991, series that we went through during that time in 1991, of the will of God. So those who might have been there then, bear with me today as we have an amended message today covering some of those points from that series that we did in 1991. Now, this is obviously not a complete exposition of that subject but uh, might be an introductory part, uh, not to be continued in part two, but uh, an introductory thing for us to begin to consider and think more intelligently and clearly about the will of God. Now, in opening here, I have a few questions. Is illness God's will? Then, are we fighting His will if we seek to be well? Is death God's will? Then why do we strive to live? Are disasters like floods, troubles that we have, are they God's will? Then if we resist those troubles and difficulties, are we fighting against God's will? A child dies, and the parents say it was the Lord's will. But if the doctors had been a little more astute, or if we had done some different things, or if we could have avoided this, maybe the child would have lived. Is that God's will? Which, which way is it? Or can it be both? Can both of those be the will of God? Will of God? What I'd like to show us some things today, some points that I think will help us immensely in working through this and help us to understand sometimes what God's will is. Now, we have three things that uh, will help us as we kind of work through this logically. First is God's intended will. What was his original purpose? The second thing is his intermediate will. What is it that he allows or gives permission or is, we would might say, his will within his will, different than his intended will, but still, nevertheless, he allows it and it is considered his will. And then we want to consider the ultimate will, his intended purpose, then what he allows, and then the final result, the ultimately what is it that he is going to accomplish in his will? Then within that, there's two more things to consider. That would be generally, 
generally, in general, how do these things apply in God's working out his plan and purpose? We'll talk about this a little later. Then specifically, how does our situation that we have a concern about, how does it fit within that general description that we are looking at of his intended will, his intermediate will, and then his ultimate will? Now, we want to consider how these three work together with those two other sub-points. Here's a note for us to think about as we go through this. In some things, we cannot always know God's will for sure until afterward. In hindsight, we can look back and say, now I was real interested, uh, uh, I think it was last week, in Art uh, Williams' sermon, he was relating a number of personal experiences he had. And one of the, you remember, he was mentioning about the training that he was had, that he had in school and the different equipment, computers and things that he was working on. And then when a job opened up, it just so happened, providentially, that they were using that same equipment and all that. And he could talk to the employer uh, and in the interview intelligently and kind of stumped him when he was, he knew exactly what he was talking about. So he could look back and see where God had been preparing him for that job that he was going to be at for a number of years with his previous education. And so in some things, we don't always know for sure exactly what God's will till afterward. So in those cases, when we don't know for sure, then we're called on to act and to live by faith, by trust, by obedience, walking in as much light as we can possibly have, always doing the right and the good, always doing right and good until we ultimately see what is God's ultimate will and have that realized in our life. Now, we're not considering will as a legal use that it's used legally, you know, as a right of inheritance or in the, in the legal sense that we identify a will, nor as a verb of uh, personal or uh, uh, personal action, personal use, personal choice, uh, like we say, I will go here or I'll do this, I will, you know, we're not considering that because there's many, many out of the over 3,000 references in the Bible uh, of several hundreds of key important scriptures that we'll only be able to look at just a few today, but we're not considering that in the normal use that we use. But, as is used in many of the scriptures of the Bible for a purpose, in an emphatic determination, the force of a decision, like we see in here. Now, we're not going to do an analysis of uh, Hebrew and, and Greek words. I just mentioned maybe a, uh, a one or two in, in passing. But um, let's go to Revelation, the fourth chapter. This is a wonderful key verse. You've heard me refer to this many times in other messages over, over the years. But uh, Revelation 4 and uh, verse 11 talking about you are worthy as they're praising Christ, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. 
not just for his pleasure, but the Greek word here uh, is thelema, and it means his will, his purpose, his pleasure. Everything that exists was created for his will. Now, we want to know, what is that will? What is his will? What is, what is he doing? In Ephesians, the first chapter, let's go there. Ephesians 1, verse 5. I'll have to kind of skip around through the, these wonderful verses here. The whole chapter 1 is uh, so wonderful and so impressive in telling us about how he, uh, verse 4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, and we've explained that before. But having predestinated us unto the adoption of children into Jesus Christ to himself, for Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, and then drop down, to verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. It's a mystery to many people, but he's revealed it to us. According to his good pleasure, which he has purposed or proposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Now, when you see these words scattered throughout here, predestinated, purpose, uh, will, uh, these are some uh, from the same basic Greek words that mean his purpose or planning or his will as an emphatic determination, not just a general uh, verb of use like I will, as I mentioned before, but his purpose, his plan. In First uh, Timothy, the second chapter, and verse 4, 1 Timothy 2, 4, Excuse me, we have to just leave a lot of verses out. But it says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Two things in this verse that are really important to us. Number one, His will is to have all men be saved. That's His will. Now we know that all men are not going to be saved. So how do we account for that? Is it against God's will? He wants all men to be saved, but we know they're not. And the second thing is, he wants all men to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now everyone's going to come to the knowledge of the truth, but everyone's not going to accept it. So how does that fit within the overall purpose and the plan and the will of God? Two things here that we want to understand is... And you hear me mention this over the years many, many times, and I've explained it before. Purpose and plan. God has a purpose overall. He has many purposes. The scriptures then tell us He has different purposes. But we'll say He has an ultimate, major, basic purpose. Then to achieve that purpose, He has a plan. And He's working through that plan to achieve that purpose. 
So, Hebrews, the second chapter. Let's look at uh, that a moment here. Hebrews 2, verse 10. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. And so, he has a purpose of man's salvation. That's the overall thing that God is concerned about. He has many, many different purposes that fit within that, but his purpose, his main purpose is the salvation of mankind. Now, how is he going to achieve that? That's how his plan is. That's his method. That's how he uh, works that out. In Ephesians, the third chapter, back up a little bit to Ephesians, the third chapter, and uh, we know the, the particular verses, uh, verse uh, 7, that in all ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, I'm pardon me, I'm in, I'm in Ephesians, the second chapter, I want to go to, excuse me, Ephesians, the third chapter, verse 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Christ Jesus to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there's more to continue on uh, this. But he has a purpose that concerns salvation and Jesus Christ and how we fit into that in his eternal purpose and this is made known or revealed as the, the Greek really should say here in verse 10 that might that is revealed or is made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God you won't get the plan and purpose of God from philosophy from pagan religions from corrupt history You'll get it from the Bible and from the church of God that explains and understands what God's purpose and plan is and how they work together. Now, generally, in his overall plan, dealing with man, he has lesser purposes uh, of, uh, of his uh, will. And then specifically now we have a concern, well, how can we know what the situation that I'm in, how this fits within uh, the will of God. Let's look at uh, Jesus' example. John, the sixth chapter, verse 38. John 6, 38. Jesus said, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which has sent me, that of all which he has given me, 
I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again in the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. So Jesus, who is an exceptional man, to know what God's will was in everything. And he knew that his will was not what Jesus' will was. He had self-will. It wasn't what his will was, because we know his will and the Father for the same. But he sublimated his personal will. And we, we know that at different times when he said, not my will, but yours be done. And so he was an exceptional man in that uh, we're not always able to understand what God's will is without him revealing it to us and understanding overall in general what his will is, then we begin to ask, well, specifically my situation, is it the will of God that I do this or that? Or how can, how can we know then God's will in our specific particular uh, situation? Matthew, the 26th chapter, verse 39 This is what I mentioned here on that last night of his life when he was in the garden. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, humanly, Jesus would have liked to have escaped if there could have been another way in one sense, all of the pain and suffering that he was going to go through, and yet he was willing to go through that for us. He didn't need it for himself because he had no sin. But for us, he was willing to suffer that, and because it was the Father's will, and because long ago, back before anything was ever created, we've talked about this before, when they sat down and planned and figured out what their purpose was going to be, and then their plan and how they were going to accomplish that. And certain things are going to happen. Some things that almost seems like adversarial or adverse to what God's will is. And so how do we account for some of those things like sickness, disease, germs, the devil, uh, all of the uh, tragics uh, that go on in our life, uh, disasters and, and all of the things that uh, are going. Is that, is that God's will? Does he will everything that happens? Or is there some things that is not his will? that we can know for sure this is not the will of God. Now, knowing is important. Knowing God's will. But doing is more important. Matthew, the fifth, uh, sixth chapter, verse 10. We have this in the prayer pattern, what we call the Lord's Prayer, that we sing and we have songs and many beautiful renditions of this. We know it by heart. Matthew 6, verse 10, in the midst of that prayer. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. We want God's will to be done on earth 
But do we understand, do we know what that will is? I've been getting to give us a little insight into some of that today. Now, a good study that we could do that, that we're not, as I said in this message, would be to go into the various uh, Greek words uh, that determine and help us see what will is, the purpose, the pleasure, how it's used, uh, his will, uh, the emphatic expression of his desire, of his plan and purpose. And in the Hebrew words, we could spend a lot of time and weeks in Bible studies and analyzing those with other scriptures. We're not going to do that today. Uh, we're going to uh, continue, though, with looking at uh, uh, a few of the many dozens of scriptures that have to do with the subject that I'm trying to hone in on today. Let's go back to Psalm 143. Verse 10. Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do thy will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. So we have to learn, we have to be taught, we have to understand, we have to grow into knowing what God's will is. And so he can teach us what his will is. Uh, your spirit is good. And this is, this is the wonderful thing about God is everything he does is done from what's right and what's good. And his purpose and the things that he is allowing sometimes seems to be contrary to that. And so we have to look at it and consider where does that fit into the will of God? Generally, is it his intended will or his intermediate allowed will within the wheel, the will within the wheel, the wheel within the wheel, if you want to put it that way, and his ultimate will. How does it fit within that? Colossians, the first chapter. As I said, uh, I'm thinking with uh, Ron's message today and mine is uh, a day for intellectual uh, consideration and to logistically work through these things and, and to test our uh, attention to uh, some very deep and profound concepts that we have to kind of work through sometime. Colossians 1, 9, 10. Let me get there. Uh, For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you be, might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And he goes on and continues on. Paul has some very long sentences there, but uh, this within his prayer for those in Colossae, and certainly for us, as we've just seen expressed elsewhere, that he wants us to have the knowledge of God's will and to walk in it and to do it. And the benefits of that will be tremendous to us. Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 2. 
when I mention some of these uh, scriptures, and we know this in sermons, we're so familiar with, we already know what, what uh, is in the verse before we turn there, and they fit in so many times with other messages, but uh, Romans, the 12th chapter, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed or changed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants us to prove it, to know for sure. In order to do that, we've got to be changed from Abram to Abraham. We've got to have that change of concept out of this world into the spiritual revelation and to see and to understand what God's overall will is and then how we can fit our life into that. John, the seventh chapter, verse 17. John 7, 17. Brian's always ahead of me. That's good. Brian, he's fast on that. Give him an old worn-out computer and he won't he'll slow him down. <laughs> If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. Well, earlier he said, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And in... Uh, 1 John 5.14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything According to his will, he hears us. That's why it's so important to know and to understand. Because we don't want to ask for something that's not according to his will. Let me just say this. I've had somebody, different ones, tell me this, and people actually believe this. That everybody's going to be saved. No. We know that. There are going to be people that are going to perish. They're going to die forever from disobedience. Are we going to ask God to save all those willful sinners? We're we going to ask Him to just ignore and overlook deliberate, willful sin when within His will He is set up that He is going to have judgment against those deliberate, willful sinners. There are some who are going to go into the lake of fire screaming and yelling and blaming God and saying it's unfair because they're unrepentant. You must believe. You must be called. You must believe. You must repent. You must overcome. If you don't overcome, you must be baptized. You must have God's Holy Spirit. You must be an endurance to the end. If you quit along the way and turn back, 
Are we going to ask God to go against something that he has already shown us, that it is his will? So we know that it's important to do his will and to understand his will. And uh, read that again. This is the confidence, the faith that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So that's a big area. He has a big will. He's got a lot of things that we can ask for in confidence and faith and know and trust and believe, and it'll happen. 1 John, the second chapter, verse 17. Back up just a little bit here. 1 John 2, 17. He's talking about the world and the, and the things that are in the world and the lust of the flesh and all of this. Verse 17. And the world passes away the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abides forever. That's why it's so important. It's not just knowing. That's part of it. The important and the significant second half is doing. For us just to know what God's will is and have a lot of knowledge without doing anything, it's useless. We've got to do his will. Now, I've got some possible scenarios and some exceptions, and we'll just work through this just a little bit here because uh, we, could, we could spend a lot of time trying to analyze and uh, look at this. Uh, let's, let's take, uh, what about rain? Is it God's will for it to rain? Okay. What was his intended purpose? What was his intended will? Yes, it rained on earth. But then, what about drought? What about floods? Uh, have there been times in the history when rain was withheld? Yes. There have been times when he has punished and sent his judgment, like on the earth, or in lesser times down through the ages. But do we say because of every flood that happens and uh, uh, every uh, disaster that occurs that that is God's will that those people suffer and go through all of that? Well, we can say it's within his will. It's his intermediate will because we have drought and we have rain. And, but ultimately, we're going to have a blessing on this earth. It's ultimately going to be fully blessed. And there'll be rain in due season. Remember, he said that if, the, if certain people don't come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, he's going to send rain on them. So, remember Noah's flood? Was that God's will? Yes. For judgment, he sent rain. Did people die? Were there some good people that died? Yes. Only eight people came through Noah's flood. Out of the billions of people that lived on earth, probably then at that time, was there some good folks? Probably yes. Children? Women? Yes. But you see, in God's plan, within his purpose, he knew that he was going to resurrect them. And so his plan is laid out by his holy days. So when we understand the Sabbath and the Passover and unleavened bread and Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Tabernacles, the last great day, we understand God's plan and how he's going to work that out and the time frame. And so we say the flood that he sent was his will on earth to send judgment and punishment for those who were sinners. 
But many of those folks are going to be having an opportunity to fully understand and to hear and to be resurrected physically to have a, have a first chance or a second chance, however people want to identify whether they, they call it a first chance or a second chance. What about, let's just think, what about work? What about a job? Is it God's will? Yeah, we could go through, see this is what I'm saying? We could spend a lot of time saying, this is God's desire for man to work. Six days shall you work. He created man to work. But that's generally his plan. Now, specifically, what about a person that's unemployed or not working? What about a person? Is it God's will for a person that's handicapped and disabled and can't work? Is it God's will for that person to be out working in a job just like everybody else? But then, what is the ultimate will of God concerning work? Remember the promise that comes back to his main will? When he comes, he is going to give every man according as his work shall be. There are going to be no lazy, sluggards, goof-offs, couch potatoes in the kingdom of God. There's not going to be anybody there like that. No liars. No, well, we could go on about the deliberate willful sinners and the lifestyles and immorality. But everybody is going to be working. So God's intended will, his ultimate will, and then within that is his intermediate. How does that concern me? I'm out of a job. Maybe I'm moving to a different area and I'm temporarily unemployed or I lost my job or I'm in a situation where I'm handicapped or disabled and I can't work. That's still within God's will. He allows that. You see what I'm saying? He allows things to happen that are his will, but it might seem to be if we just took him at his word, everybody should be working, everybody's got to have a job, everybody ought to be full employed, well then, how do we account for that? We could talk about marriage. I don't want to go there too much. But you could take this scenario that I've given you. What is his intended will? What is his intermediate will? And what is his ultimate will? The ultimate will will just say, everybody's going to be married but not to each other, or not to somebody else. Going to be married to Christ. Going to be married to God. That's his ultimate, that's his plan, is to bring us to be the bride of Christ, to be married to him, to be at one with God, not at one with each other physically or spiritually. There's no, remember, no marriage in the kingdom of God. Not going to be husband and wives in the kingdom of God. Christ is a husband. We are the, uh, the bride to be the wife of Christ. That's, that's another story. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time because we've talked about this before, the devil. But the devil, how do we account for him? As he fits within God's will. He wasn't forced. He chose he made that free will decision to sin deliberately. And he's going to suffer the consequences of it. Now, ultimately, the devil is a loser. God 
is the winner. Do you understand? God's will cannot be defeated. God cannot lose. He will not lose. The devil and his believers and his followers and his kingdom, they're going to lose. The righteous sons of God, us, we're going to be saved. God wins. They lose. Now, when we understand that, and we know what God is working out within His time frame, He wants to be, He wills to be, it's His desire to have everybody saved. That's what He wants. But it's not going to happen. Now, in our case, we better make sure that we are there. We better make sure that we're doing His will, that we're believing His will, that we're understanding His will, that we're consistent, that we continue in His will, because if we turn against it, we fight against it, we resist it, we won't be there. Our present situation is our major concern, how it fits within the will of God as we understand it. Sometimes we don't see it clearly. Then always we've got to do what's right, do what's good, do the best with faith and trust till we see in hindsight or more clearly by circumstance, providence, scriptures, and a clear indication of the correct action that we must take. Now, let's consider this. Everything that happens in existence is not necessarily his will. Now listen. Think about this. Let's consider. If it's not his will. Then why. Are we doing it? And I'm not necessarily. Isolating us. I'll just say. Why. If it's not his will. Like. Smoking, Sabbath breaking, not keeping the festivals of God, not repenting, being lazy, immoral. We could go on and on. If it's not God's will to do those things, then why do we do them? Shouldn't we be doing his will and not doing the opposite. God allows things seemingly adverse to his intended will as a temporary situation until he completes his ultimate will. Okay, a few examples from the scripture. We won't go there. We'll just, because you know these, we've been over them over the past years, but you know Joseph, sold into slavery, slavery by his brothers ended up in Egypt, suffered a lot of things. And he says later, you can read this in the 50th chapter of Genesis, when he's finally revealed to his brothers and his dad and all this, and he says, because of what he experienced, you meant it for my evil, but God 
meant it for good that I might deliver you from their difficulties, from their famines and the things that were going on and why they came to Egypt and all the things, and you know, all the things that went on between Joseph and his brothers. They meant it for evil. And so God was allowing Joseph to be sold into Egypt and go down to Egypt and experience all of those things that Israel would be saved, that his word would be accomplished. Remember, in Jeremiah he said he is watching over his word that it will be accomplished. He will hasten his word that it will happen. God is watching over and in providence he is working a lot of things out within his plan and his purpose. Now some things don't seem to be well like Jesus. Now Jesus was perfect, sinless. He knew God's will. He had his own will, but he sublimated that to God's will. But he suffered all those things. You know, here's a righteous person that suffered a lot of intermediate difficulties, battled with the devil, battled with man, suffering, all kinds of things that didn't seem to be right or good, but ultimately was good because... Remember he said, I delight to do your will. I come to do your will. He suffered so much for us. That was God's will, to allow that to happen for us, not for himself. Now, if we knew everything in advance that was going to happen, we'd circumvent it, wouldn't we? We wouldn't have to live by faith. We wouldn't have to live by trust. We wouldn't be tested, tried. We wouldn't have to prove our character. And we wouldn't be able to later look back and say, now I see, now I understand why I went through all of those things. Now I understand why there was a devil. Now I understand why there was sin. Now I understand why I have a choice. Now I can understand why all of those things happened in hindsight when we won't be able to understand everything until ultimately we'll be able to look back with God's will. Forget the bad things. We're, we're not going to have any tears and sorrow and regrets and bad things. We'll probably maybe remember through our personality some good things of why we're there. We'll remember that it was God who saved us, not we ourselves. And so we can look back and say that was God's will. That I suffered that or I went through that or that I experienced that. I'm glad I did. I'm glad I persevered. Even though I didn't fully understand everything that was going on at that time. Matthew 18, 14. Even so, it is not the will of your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. I mentioned earlier that it's, there are some things that are not God's will. 
God's will is to allow us to suffer, right? We experience hardships and difficulties, trauma, indecisions, bad mistakes, have to learn. But it is not his will that anyone perish. He doesn't want it. He doesn't desire it. But he knows that some will. And so how has he chosen to deal with those? And how is he going to handle that situation? That fits within his intermediate will, within his intended will and what he ultimately wills and how he allows certain things to happen. Deliberate self-will, and I didn't spend any time looking at self-will as identified in the scriptures, and it shows it's wrong. That's where like the devil and his angels, that self-willed, that willed, that's why any human being who says, I will not obey God, I am not going to bow my knees, I am not going to repent, I am not going to change, I am not going to come out of the world, I am going to continue believing this idol over here and worshiping this stick or stone or this idea, or I'm an atheist, I refuse to believe there is a God, that person is going to cease to exist. That person is going to die forever. That's God's will to allow that to happen. Free moral agent to make that decision. He doesn't want it. He doesn't choose it. But it's going to happen. Closing. Ephesians is 6 chapter verse 5 and 5 through 8. Now, I told you we would only touch on some of this and, and just select a few of the many, many dozens of scriptures and a longer study and, and more consideration. We've covered a lot of territory as it relates to the will of God. But uh, in closing, Ephesians is 6 chapter and uh, verse 5 he is here about children and uh, fathers and uh, verse 5 servants in, that, that could include all of us any of us be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Respect our employers, respect our boss, respect our supervisors, respect those who have uh, authority over us in a right way, not to conflict with God's will and, and go against, you know, break His commandments. We, we know that, with, we understand this in the right way. Not with eye service, as men please her, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service, as to the Lord and not to man. Now, in closing, we're encouraged, and we know this as much as possible, to serve God, to do His will, 
to know and understand it the best we can. It's going to take a lot of research, a lot of study, a lot of consideration, a lot of mistakes, asking, studying, looking. Then conform our will in harmony with his will. Try to see our specific situation in the will of God. Trust, obey in faith what is right and good. You've heard me repeat this so many times over the years and so many times even today. We're never wrong. It's never incorrect to always do what God does and to follow him and to be right and to be, and to be good and to do what's right. Even though we have to struggle and we do wrong and we, we are bad sometimes. But we have to repent of that. We have to continue then to look to him and to have that hope and faith and trust that we will be with him as he fulfills his ultimate will for everything that he has brought into existence. We want to be there. We want to be a part of that. And we have a choice. We can accept it. We can struggle with it. We can do the best we can. We can do his will and trust in faith that he will supply the lack and that we will be there together, all of us in this room, with the other untold millions that we sang about in the song of all the probably billions that are going to be there ultimately saved and with God forever and ever and ever. What a glorious, wonderful purpose. What a wonderful, glorious plan. And brethren, he has chosen to reveal that to us. He's given us an understanding of what so many people in the world don't know and don't understand. And he's shown us how much more incumbent is it upon us to make sure that we understand and that we do His will.